0: You're listening to Theology for the Rest of Us. Now, here's your host, Kenny Ortiz. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back. I'm Kenny Ortiz. This is Theology for the Rest of Us, coming at you from beautiful Central Florida. Thank you so much for listening. So glad to have you. This is episode 234 and in this episode, I'm going to be answering a question I got uh, from a regular listener that I've actually had the chance to meet in person and connect with uh, a listener by the name of Kne. Uh, some of you guys may be familiar. Uh, remember, if those of you have been tracking with me for quite some time, uh, several months back, Kne had sent uh, had sent some questions in. and She was really wrestling with faith. Um, she had not. Uh, had not proclaimed to be a Christian. She was just kind of checking checking out religion or checking out Christianity and really was kind of wrestling through some things and had sent in some questions and I did a few podcast episodes in response to her questions. Um, well, since that time, she's actually come to faith in Christ. She is now a follower of Jesus, which is super exciting. And just um, a few weeks ago, I was actually hanging out in Seattle and got a chance to meet her in person and connect with her. So that was lots and lots of fun. And then I realized that, um, that I don't do that Enough. I travel quite a bit, and I probably have listeners all over the place. So I probably should do a better job of letting you guys know when I'm going to be in a particular area, so I can connect with you guys. So sorry about that. I will, I will make that up to you in the future. Um, but uh, so I got a chance to connect with Kene, and uh, just really cool to see the faith journey she's on, and how God has began to really transform uh, her heart and mind in some cool ways, and how she has really committed herself to to living for Jesus and really kind of being committed to. Uh, Really honoring the Word of God and studying the Word of God, so that's really cool. So, uh, while I was away on a mission trip, she sent me a few emails and um, and wanted to to answer them uh, here today because I think I probably I probably have a lot of people out there asking or thinking similar questions. I know I've gotten a lot of questions around the topic of prayer, um, and so I thought the questions she brought to the table would be valuable for for lots of you out there. I'm just going to read just a just a portion of Kane's email. She sent me a longer longer message. We're just going to read a little bit of it. She says, what are your thoughts on how Jesus says if we remain in him, we can ask for anything in his name and it will be done? Below are a few times where it is mentioned. What do you do with these passages? How does it impact, how does it impact what you pray for? I um, mean then later in her email, she just talks about just really wanting to be cautious and not and not being selfish in her prayers and making sure when she's praying and asking God for things and when she's coming to the Lord, that she's not just coming to him expecting him to be a magic pill or a, a silver bullet. So I I really appreciate her sentiments, uh, and no doubt this is a, a really important topic because I think there's a lot of people wrestling through this, and there's a lot of bad theology out there that has kind of come out of some of the verses that Kenei actually lists in your email. So uh, I'm going to read a few passages that she mentions. John 15, where Jesus says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask whatever you desire. It shall be done for you um later in John in the same chapter John 15 he says you did not choose me but I chose you and appointed you that you, you should bear you should bear fruit he later says whatever you ask the father in my name he will give to you or he may give to you um And then she she quotes uh, from John 16, the next chapter. Again, very similar sentiments. Ask and you will receive. Uh, Matthew 21, um, in Matthew's gospel, uh, we're we're capturing the words of Jesus where he says, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree. This is right after Jesus cursed the fig tree. "Um, And if you say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, it will be done. And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. Um, she also quotes from James one six, uh, um, but let him ask in faith. This is James, the younger brother of Jesus, encouraging believers to ask for faith, um, without doubting for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Um, and then, and then in James chapter four, James later says, basically makes the, the famous point of, um, you, you ask because you. Uh, You you ask, but you do not have because you ask with the wrong motives. First, he says you you have not because you ask not. And then later he says you you ask, but God doesn't answer your prayer because you're asking with the wrong motives. You've got selfish ambition and play. Um, Those are some of the verses that she referred to. Um, let me go to you, let me go to a different passage of scripture. Basically the, the story that Kanae referred to in her email is from Matthew 21. The same passage is, is, or the same narrative, um, right before Jesus, you know, the week before Jesus is crucified is recorded in Mark 11. I think I, I kind of like the way Mark articulates it a little bit better. Um, I'm, I'm not better necessarily, just a little different. I think a little, a little clearer to some extent, um. Basically, Jesus is he enters in uh, into uh, you know he's entering into or coming near Jerusalem, um, and then while he's there. He and his disciples are walking around, and he sees a fig tree. He walks up to the fig tree. This again this is Mark 11 verses 12 to 14. Uh, he walks up to the fig tree. He sees that there's no fruit; that the fig tree is not bearing fruit the way it's supposed to. It's not. Uh, it's not. It's you know. It's not rooted in the ground, or it's not. Uh, it's not healthy enough, or for whatever reason, this fig tree is not. Uh, bearing fruit. Now, there have been some, some commentators or some scholars that have said, well, it was out of season. It wasn't fig season because of the time of year that it was. So, of course, it was going to be not not going to have fruit. But uh, other commentators have disputed that, particularly F.F. F. Bruce, one of, f- one of the most famous scholars of the 1800s. He basically said, that is true. It wasn't fig season. But, even, but long before fig season, they even have um, these little nubs that begin to grow that passerbyers would grab and eat. And so, Jesus goes to the tree, and typically, when a person comes to the tree, there would have been an expectation on a fig tree to have something that they could they could eat. And this this fig tree did not. So Jesus basically curses the fig tree and says, "No one's ever going to eat from you." Um, then Jesus goes into the temple and he flips the tables and cleanses the temple. Very famous narrative there. And then when they leave the temple, you know, um, the, the the next morning they're coming by, and Jesus and his the disciples they're walking by the tree, and Peter mentions. That's the tree that you cursed yesterday. Verse twenty of Mark eleven, verse twenty says, as they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. I mean, to the roots, the fig tree was completely withered away. And Peter remembered that Jesus, you know what Jesus said. He said, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. That's an interesting response, right? So Peter says, Hey, listen, yesterday you cursed this tree, and Jesus is like, Yeah, you gotta, you gotta have confidence that in God. Um, that when his people act out and make true claims, that God is going to actually respond and work in accordance with the words of his people. See, Jesus says to the tree, be cursed for not doing what you ought to do. And God, you know, providentially actually curses and kills this this tree, right? Whether that's by the power of the Holy Spirit or the father determining it or however it ends up, you know, the scripture doesn't give us a clear understanding of what happened there, how it happened. But the bottom line is, is there's a, you know, Jesus is responding. Yeah. You got to have faith in God. He's like, listen, I am in the father and the father is in me. And when I speak, it enacts, it enables the father or, or it it, it prompts the father to do things, right? This that the power of God is supernaturally released through the actions and words of God's people. And now, God doesn't need us. God can release his supernatural power outside of human's human actions, but God most uh, most of the time typically enjoys and prefers to work through the bounds of people. Right? So Jesus is saying to Peter like, "Don't be shocked by this. Have faith. Believe that God is indeed going to be prompted by your words, by your actions, that the supernatural power of God will be released in you and through you based upon your words on actions in a variety of circumstances. Like, Peter, don't be shocked by this. And then Jesus says in verse 23, again, this is Mark 11, verse 23, he says, truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Jesus is saying, listen, have faith in god believe that god is actually a god who listens to his people and answers prayers that his supernatural power is released through the words of his people listen if you see that mountain over there take that mountain and you tell that mountain to 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 get up and throw yourself into the sea and you truly believe that the power of god on these inside of you that you actually believe that god is listening to you you have you actually have confidence in god you know what that mountain is going to be thrown into the sea. Now, by the way, he didn't literally mean the mountain. This was actually a relatively popular Hebrew idiom. The Jewish people understand Jesus is speaking uh, metaphorically, or he's speaking, you know, in hyperbole, right? Like if I say to you, "Man, it, it was just, you know, it's just, uh, you know, like a bajillion people at the at the mall today." Well, you know, there wasn't literally a bajillion because that's not a real number, right? It's a made-up number that I'm just trying to get you to I- give you the idea that there's just a lot of people there. That's what Jesus is doing here. He's speaking with exaggeration, with hyperbole. He's trying to get Peter and the disciples to realize, listen, no matter how big the obstacle looks, you have a God who listens to you, and he's bigger than the obstacle. So have confidence that when you ask God to help you overcome an obstacle, or when you ask God to remove an obstacle, have confidence that God has the power to actually do what you've asked him to do. So Jesus is trying to get out here. And then he follows it up here in verse 24. He says, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe you have received it, and it will be yours. Jesus is saying, Whatever you ask for in prayer. So listen, he says, like have confidence in God, come before the Lord, pray that God would remove obstacles, have confidence that God's supernatural power is released through you. And that whatever you whatever you happen to be bringing to God when you are in the act of prayer actually believe that god has the power to do it and that he has indeed already begun to act on your behalf to actually accomplish the thing you are praying for now this verse does not mean that you can ask for whatever you want there there sometimes people read this verse and they say jesus said whatever you ask for in prayer believe it you've received it so ask for whatever you want go ahead and ask for whatever you want in prayer and you're always going to have it in the context of what Jesus is saying here, with the fig tree and the mountain, there's, you get the the sense that Jesus is saying, hey, have confidence in God that when you pray, that he actually has the power to do what you, what you're actually asking to do. Believe that he has the power. Don't doubt his power. Don't doubt his willingness to answer prayer. That when you are praying and bringing things to him, believe that he is already acting on your behalf and God is going to answer your prayers right if if we are overly fundamentalistic on this right overly strictly literal on this passage or if we just read that one verse d- divorced from the rest of the passage we end up getting some of the bad theology that's out there the the name it claim it people saying well, whatever you want god's going to give it to you as long as you as long as you got faith i want a mercedes benz i got faith that god's going to give it to you you then god's going to give it to you that's the name it claim it false bad, detrimental theology, and it comes from people taking singular verses out of context and ignoring the sentiment and and some of the hyperbole even that surrounds the individual passage. Now, let me give you a couple other passages of Scripture um, that I think will be valuable. Um, Jesus is saying, listen, when you're in prayer and you're asking for things, okay, make sure that you have confidence that God can actually accomplish those things in this particular passage mark 11 um or or in or uh, in Matthew 21 as uh, as Kane referred to it in her email um in this particular passage particular narrative when Jesus is saying here he is not actually giving them instruction on what they should or should not pray for he's just saying it just so happens that when you are praying make sure you actually have confidence and faith in your prayers have confidence that the god of the universe is actually listening to you it's a really, really important thing to remember. That's the point of that verse. Now, in in that particular verse, Jesus is not giving them instruction on what to pray for. He's not. But there are other places in Scripture where Jesus does indeed give us instructions on what to pray for. And we ought not ignore those passages of Scripture, right? In Matthew chapter six, when Jesus gives us uh, what we now call the Lord's Prayer, a, a, a kind of a model for prayer, Jesus says we should be going to the Father, saying, "Our Father who art in heaven, you know, holy be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done." Right. That's the first thing we should be doing. We should be coming to God and saying, "God, I recognize that you are holy. You are big. You are sovereign. You are." awesome. You have the power to do whatever you want to do. And I submit to you, Lord, may your kingdom come like the kingdom that you have in heaven and how it's, how it's governing. May that kingdom come to planet earth. May the earth be transformed to be more in line with the heavenly kingdom. May the earth come into subjection and submission to the King of Kings. Lord, we pray for your kingdom to come, and we pray for your will to be done. We ask, Lord, for whatever you want to happen to actually come to pla- to pass. We want your preferences and inclinations to be made real here on planet Earth. That's the style of prayer that we ought to be praying. And again, if we, put, we take that verse alongside of the words of Jesus in Mark 11, we um, Matthew 6, Jesus tells us, when you pray, pray for God to bring about his own will. And in Mark 11, we learn that when you pray for that, you should actually have the confidence that God does have the power to actually bring about his own will. Like, You see how they go together? Um, too many times we want to divorce passages of scripture from their context, or we want to take individual scriptures and not... Not interpret them in light of other scriptures, and that is extremely, extremely dangerous to do. Um, now, I'm not saying that Kinay is in danger of doing that, by the way. I'm not. I'm just giving a side note on some of the bad theology that is out there. I'm not. I'm not blaming Kinay or saying that her email is is fraudulent in this manner at all. Um, so, I just think it's important for us to remember. That God has given us some instruction to on, on how to pray. In some of the verses that Kenei mentioned in her email, uh, John 15, Jesus says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, this is the precursor, you will ask what you desire. Now, he's saying, if I'm abiding in you, if God really is living on the inside of you, and if the words of Jesus... Are, are actually living on the inside of you, governing your life, transforming you, bringing you closer to God, cultivating intimacy between you and the Father, right? If the word of God, the words of Jesus, are alive and active in you, this is what's going to happen. You're going to come to the Father and you're going to ask what you desire and God's going to actually do it. That's what he says in, Ma- in John 15, 7 and 8, right? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Now, here's the thing if you are not a true follower of Jesus, you don't have a relationship with him, if you're not cultivating an intimate friendship with God, if the word of God is not, you know, something that's a part of your life on a regular basis, then your desires are going to be crummy and sinful and selfish, but, If you have a relationship with Jesus and you are spending time with him and cultivating intimacy with him and you are reading his words and you are applying them to your life, what will begin to happen is your desires will begin to shift and change over the course of time to be more in line with God the Father. So when you come to the Father and you ask for something... It's going to be something that he wants. It's going to be something he's in agreement with. Therefore, he is now going to be willing to answer that prayer. See, uh, we can't the, we can't separate the 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 statement about prayer from the abiding portion of it. Let me read to you another verse. Um, this is not a verse from Kane's email. This is a verse I, that I thought would be valuable to bring up in light of the conversation. First uh, John five. The uh, the same guy who wrote John fifteen is writing the epistle First John. He says this, First John 5, verse 14. He says, this is the confidence we have in him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, he hears whatever we ask. We know that we have what we have asked for. Like, this is just, uh, this is a great, great promise. Like, if we ask according to his will, if the prayer that we're bringing to God is congruent with, or similar to in line with what God wants, we are asking for something that we desire that happens to also be in line with what God wants, then we know he will definitely listen and we know we can be confident that he will definitely answer that prayer. This is a promise, what a glorious promise that the creator of the universe, the big sovereign God who has the universe in the palm of his hands, who can do anything he wants and doesn't need you or me. He is not obligated to listen to you or to me. That powerful big God chooses to stop and listen when we pray in accordance with his will. What an incredible promise that God will listen to us. Wow, we ought to be blown away and honored by such an incredible promise. And I get the sense from Kinade's email that she she is blown away by this, and that she is indeed honored by that. And and many people that I talk to feel the same way. Just we just can't believe that God would that God would be willing to listen to us. But that is what He promises. That if you talk to Him, He promises to listen, and He promises to to actually work on your behalf and to answer the prayers you're praying as long as you're asking for those things in line with what he desires. That's the whole point. That's what several of these scriptures are, are saying. He's making the point that, you know again, in all of the passages of scripture that Kenei mentioned, pretty much all of them are making the point that, that we ought to ask God God for things in line with what he already wants, in line with his will and his desires, with his moral inclinations, and ultimately for his glory. We ought to ask him for things that will accomplish his fame among all the nations of the earth that we ought to ask him for things that will make him look good to the most amount of people that we ought to be asking for things that that promote the message of the gospel and we ought to do it with confidence not doubting as james said not doubting like a wave wave who's just tossed about by the sea no we ought to ask with great confidence knowing that he's actually going to listen and answer our prayers one other caveat to this, um, I read it earlier in this podcast, but I'll read it again from James chapter 4. The younger brother Jesus makes it clear, you have not because you ask not. Listen, if there's things in your life that you don't have, maybe it's because you haven't prayed for those things. Go pray for those things, and as you pray, have confidence that whatever you ask for, God is going to bring about to pass. Re- believe that God is going to work on your behalf, that he can remove any obstacle or he can bring anything to pass, that he is sovereign and that he loves you, wants what's best for you, and that he's actually going to listen to you. Listen, if you there's things on the list that you need or are longing for that, that are not in your life, ask God for them. James says, you have not because you ask not. In the very next sentence, he then says, and then sometimes you, you ask and you don't receive because you've asked with the wrong motive, like so. Some of you, James is saying, you haven't received what you what you want because you haven't even asked for it. And some of you, you haven't received what you want because you asked with the wrong motive. You may have already asked. You prayed God. You prayed to God for that thing, but you prayed for it for your own selfish ambition, right? If I go to God and say, "Listen, God, will you give me ten million dollars so that I can buy ten Mercedes Benz and go to the Bahamas on vacation whenever I want?" Lord, just give me ten million dollars, whatever I ask for, right? I believe it listen, that is a selfish prayer. You're asking for your own selfish desires, for your own lustful pleasures. You're asking for your own satisfaction, not for the glory and fame of God. That's that's not why you're asking. And so God is not going to answer that prayer. God is going to reject that prayer because it is outside of what he desires. So the conclusion is this. We pray because God wants us to pray and he actually listens and as we spend time with God as we we pray we read his word he transforms us he transforms our way of thinking over time so that we can think the more think more in line with the way he thinks and our our desires of the desires of our hearts the inclinations of our soul begin to shift and transition to be more in line with what he wants so that when we when we ha- when we desire things they are actually in line with the desires of God and the passions of God so when we come to God and we ask for things, God's going to say, of course, I'm going to answer that prayer because you're you're wanting what I want and you're wanting it for the right motives, not for selfishness, not for your own gain, but, and your own influence or your own pleasure, but you're asking ultimately for a grander, better purpose, for the betterment of others, or, or more importantly, for the expansion of the glory and fame of God. Of course, God listens to those prayers. My advice to every child of God, spend time with him. Allow his word and his presence to transform you and your desires. And as you come up with new dreams and new ideas and new desires, go go to the Lord in prayer with confidence. I promise he is listening to you. Friends, the God of the universe who doesn't need you, he longs for you. He doesn't depend on you. He doesn't need you. He wants you and he invites you. He invites you to pray and to pray with confidence. And when you do that, it will literally unleash his supernatural power in your life and in the lives of those people you're praying for. When you pray to God, pray with confidence and God will bring things to pass that are far greater than maybe what even you, what you've even asked for and what you could ever possibly imagine. Go to God in prayer with confidence. Because he's a God who listens to his people and answers their prayers. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the podcast. Big shout out to you, Kane. Thank you for the email. And more importantly, thank you for being a loyal supporter of the podcast. Much appreciated. Hey, for anyone listening to this, if you have a question or a topic that you want me to address in a future episode of the podcast, I'd love to hear from you. Shoot me an email or find me on Twitter. The email address is heyortiz at theologyfortherestofus.com. That's H-E-Y-O-R-T-I-Z at theologyfortherestofus.com. Or on Twitter, you can find me at Kenneth Ortiz. That's K-E-N-N-E-T-H-O-R-T-I-Z. Find me there. I'd love to connect with you. Hey, if you love the podcast or if it's been a blessing to you in any way whatsoever, do me a huge favor. Head on over to iTunes or whatever podcast player or directory that you're familiar with and head on over. Leave us a five-star rating and a great review. Tell the world you love the podcast. Those are a big, big help to the show because they help us reach more people. Thanks again for listening. I'm Kenny Ortiz and this has been Theology for the Rest of Us.